Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with WH Cornerstone Investments co-founder Paula Harris. As the co-founder, she is part financial advisor and part dream architect who takes great pride in helping her clients, particularly midlife widowed women, obtain financial peace of mind while they get back on their feet, rise up, and navigate the path forward. Paula is assisting women in their life planning, and it all goes hand in hand with her overall mission of inspiring and helping. Enjoy this interview. Where are you located? I'm in Massachusetts. How about you? I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So, well, it's great to meet you. Thank you for taking a minute out today. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And uh, I've been flying. I was on vacation for a couple of weeks. So I came back and I'm like trying to piece everything together. I'm like, oh my gosh. So Me too. Yeah, I actually just drove across Kansas from Colorado. So if you ever do that, it's the most boring drive in the world. Okay. And so, but I've I've been in the mountains for a week, so I get it. It's great. Yeah. So it's hard to re-enter. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, but we're here. We're going to get it done. And what I want to do before we get into your life and careers, I want to know how did you survive COVID? The last three years was quite an ordeal. How did you get through it? And how did it change the way that you do things now? Interesting. Um, I survived COVID very well because I tend to be someone who doesn't live in fear and I don't watch the news. So when you don't watch the news and you don't have, I don't watch TV, so I don't have all the ads and news berating me. I just go outside and enjoy life. So the, the most important thing I think we did is we made a decision to move to Nantucket for eight months. We got a winter rental and we just went and like, we we're going to work remotely anyhow. Like, why not work somewhere cool? And I have family that lives out there and, you know, I survived by walking and being outside and, um, and still traveling. And we, we were someone who kept going out to dinner and stores and, um, you know, did it smartly, but just kept going. There you go. Good, good for you. And that's the way to do it. And I, I felt the same way. It was like, you know, life isn't just going to stop, you know, right. you- you need to get out there. You can't say, oh, well, you know, I have this black hole in my existence because there was a pandemic. You right. know, there's there's life to be lived. So let's get to the core of what you do for a living. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders, career day. Oh. Okay. One of the okay. kids looks up and says, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that child? So I help women who've lost their spouse make better decisions about their money, making Excellent. it that simple. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's very interesting. My my best friend, the godfather of my son, lost his wife and he had talked about insurance and how key that was and how those yeah. things having those things lined up make a lot of sense. Is that kind of a part of the process? Yeah. Uh, and ideally, Joe, I want to to talk to that couple, you know, to the kids, mom and dads and say, "Hey, a curveball could come and hit your life." Would you be prepared? So let's do a financial plan to make sure that you've got your um, I's dotted, your T's crossed. So that means, you know, you've got the proper beneficiaries um, named. You've got the proper insurances because, you know, you don't want your spouse in a time of grief having to, like, figure out where the money is on top of, like, oh, my gosh, how do I rebuild my life? So we try to get people prepared for any type of curveball life planning situation. So what did you want to be when you were young in the third grade? I wanted to be an actress, an airline student, a teacher, and a, a nurse. I guess it was, so when I look back, they were all helping, you know, pretty much all helping professions. 
it, th- there could be a version of like Mission Impossible that could work yeah. and you could have all of those, right? <laughs> True. And I sometimes I feel like, you know, that's what you're doing. You're like sorting through people's lives and helping them uncover, um, uncover like, you know, what, what their, what their money, but also I do a lot with mindset and trying to help people, you know, not live in fear and find hope and all those types of things. Yeah. It's interesting. It almost seems as though there's a level of what you're doing. That's like an accountant that knows how to run a funeral home really well. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, so let me ask you this. How did you get to this point? Tell me about where you were born and raised and what were some of the seeds that were planted into you to be involved with not only bereavement, but numbers. It's a very interesting mix you got. Yeah. Uh, so I was born in Boston and my grandmother, uh, Mary, my mother's mom, she didn't live that far from us. So every day on the way to school, we walked to parochial school and, you know, unsupervised as a block of kids, which was, I think, really interesting because it gave me a lot of um, autonomy from a young age. So we would actually walk by my grandmother's house both ways. Uh, and she was actually widowed at the age of 50. So I don't ever remember my grandfather. He died about when I was less than two. And so she remarkably had a three family house. She dealt with tenants and she volunteered her time in the community with the senior group. She gave a tremendous amount of time and energy to help make other seniors lives better. And so the seeds of, I think of taking care of others, volunteering were were planted really young. My faith life, you know, um, taking care of others, you know, being observant of other people, I think has been a, a, a big thing for me. Um, and then I, you know, it went on to sort of normal, you know, school went from, um, Catholic school to public school, which was kind of a shock, uh, where things were much more, um, systematized, I would say to sort of not a total free for all, but it was like, I mean, not so the biggest change was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to wear the same thing every day. So having to have that choice is kind of interesting. Uh, then I went on to study at Providence College, which I really enjoyed um, being a friar and taking advantage. You know, one of the early lessons I learned was I always, I started to babysit um, probably about the age of 11. I had a paper route about the age of 11. So I started earning money young and I've always been a saver. So what I've learned is when you have money, you can take advantage of opportunities. And so one of the great things at Providence, uh, Providence went to the final four while I was there for basketball and I had money in the bank. So I was able to like, go, oh, I'm, I'm going to New Orleans. Uh, so that knowing that, you know, being a good saver allowed me choices later on. Uh, really helped a lot. Um, although I didn't go straight into that career, I actually went to work for consulting firms. Went to first job was with Bain and Company. So strategy consulting firms worked on the administrative side, doing a lot of um, uh, graphic design, to sort of the, the communication piece and how to communicate to clients. So I did that for a number of years, switched firms, ended up with a division of Deloitte. And then I, I found another calling what I loved, which was um, college recruiting. So recruiting highly competitive students out of, you know, Ivies and junior Ivies to go work in training programs for consulting firms. And then I went to work in the credit card industry, um, which was really interesting, too. And, you know, it's really fun to get to travel uh, to these schools with the executive team. And, and when I worked at First USA, we actually got to take the company plane. That was really fun um, yeah. to be able to, to do things like that. So I've had a very interesting set of careers. So I, I then married, uh, got into more human resources. So now I've taken and managed my, take, married my people skills with my um, financial background. And I work with my husband, Bill, in a firm that we've had over 25 years. 
Wonderful. So who's been kind of your inspiration or hero in your life? Um, it kind of it goes in waves, I guess. Um, I would say one of one, a political woman, Margaret Thatcher, I think fascinating woman. I've loved learning about her just, you know, I mean, up against, uh, you know, and the political scene in a very male dominated world, she found a way to hold her own and still be her own version of feminine, which I think is interesting. Um, I more recently have studied with Tony Robbins in the last 10 years. I've really found him to be you know, very fascinating and helping people get unstuck so quickly um, and helping them change their mindset. And then I've gone on to study with Jack Canfield um, and he's been um a mentor as well. And then more recently, I really fascinated with mother Teresa, a tiny little woman who has grabbed the hearts and souls of so many people around the world and the work that she did with the poorest of people, you know, people that most people would not even think about. And she made us all more aware and helped change lives one person at a time, which I think is really fab fabulous. If you can meet anybody alive on the planet right now and spend some time with them, who would it be? Oh gosh. Um, anybody alive right now? I didn't think this would stump me so much. <laughs> um, Condoleezza Rice. Yeah. I heard her speak a few years ago and she is a multifaceted woman. Mm -hmm. Um, she is, you know, she's had her political career. She's now in academics and she has a huge love of football. And so just to kind of, un I, I have read her, uh, her book. I mean, she just, she's a woman who didn't come from much father really believed in education and she's just got grit. And so I'd love, I would love to spend time with her. It's interesting. I remember seeing her at football games. She's the last person you would see in the stands going gonzo, but I think there were pictures of her doing that, you know, yeah. so Everybody's got their multifaceted part of their personality yeah. change. And I don't love, I mean, I like football, but I'm like, that's not the draw. I just think, love that she's so passionate. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. It's just yeah. this alter ego. You don't understand. You just don't associate with it. You know? Yeah. Um, it'd be like if Margaret Thatcher was a big auto racing fan, you'd be like, what, what, what yeah. is that? So what is the motivation for you every, every day to do the job you do? It's obviously taxing. You have to give a lot of yourself. You're dealing yeah. with a lot of heavy. What keeps you going? I really enjoy um, connecting people, whether it be to other people or resources and helping make short cuts in their lives so that they don't have to struggle to find resources um, and, and to help them um, know that there's hope out there. You know, I, I just think in general, we all need more hope. And I, I just am an optimistic person to the point. Sometimes I think I drive people crazy, um, but I just... And my faith also keeps me, you know, I get up every day. I've got a really solid morning routine that includes uh, meditation and spiritual reading. And that I think really gets me going every day. So what's been your best client success story? Um, you know, I think about uh, one woman, um, we'll call her, uh, Nancy. And she had, she was working, um, when her husband died and we went down, we were actually invited down by her, her sons to go help her. And she was just, um, overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed. She was in her late fifties at the time. 
And if you don't know, the average age of widowhood is 59, which is kind of scary. And she, um, she was a strong woman, but she just needed, she needed help. And when she got to the point, they, they were planning, they had built a, um, their vacation home and they were planning to paint it themselves. And he died before that happened. And so she still decided to keep the, the vacation home on Cape Cod. Um, she actually had, had moved uh, back to Massachusetts and she was putting her life back together. And, and the day the letter came, a handwritten card that said, um, thanks to you, I, I can stand on my own two feet again. And that was like, that was really awesome. And we helped her like answer some hard questions like this home she was keeping because you know, it was going to be the magnet for her grandkids and her kids to come to. And we said, have you talked to them about it? And it turns out neither of them want, neither of the kids really wanted to come to Cape, to the Cape. They had, they want to go north to New Hampshire and Vermont and, um, like getting people to ask, helping people ask the tough questions and sit with the answers. I think that's some of the, the best work we do. So, um, and you know, We've been through so many other layers with her over time and now, you know, help her kids and, um, you know, helping get charitable giving done, helping fund college education for grandkids. Like, you know, like the things that you really dream you want to get done, she's able to get that done and, and she lives, you know, successfully on her own. And she she always said, I don't want to be a burden to my kids. And she's not, not at all. She never will be. So it's interesting. You have to deal with timeline and mortality and all of those things on a regular basis. So I'm going to ask you this. If you were to have a dream tonight, you run into the 20-year-old version of yourself and you could give that younger version of you a piece of advice based on the life you've lived, the wisdom you've gained, what would you tell that young version of you? Well, it's actually something I, I read today. Um, if your heart is too full, you know, God, God can't talk to you. Um, stop living such a busy life. Stop scheduling every moment. Um, and allow for more free space, open time for the serendipity and to just sit and listen. Um, and you don't always have to have all the answers because they will come if you're quiet. I like that. I've learned that over time. The older I've gotten, the yep. less I want to say thanks. I just want to contemplate. Yeah. You know, I'm actually reading a book right now called the. Rocking Chair Prophet. It's written by a guy named Matthew Kelly and the, the gentleman loses his family and he goes off into the mountains for many many years and he he basically contemplates that whole time he comes back and he's a prophet at this point like he just has all this wisdom and he just shares it all day but it was all that silence that helped him gain that perspective yep um so everyone out there has a perception of you you have all these pockets of people family friends clients colleagues but you obviously are the one in charge what's your perception of you who do you think you are um, I think I am, uh, someone who is very thoughtful. I'm a noticer. So I, I just, I feel it. Like if something's going on with you and we're in the same room. I just can, I can feel that. And I, you know, w- w- want to help you make it easier, whether you're struggling because you can't get out of your chair and I go over and help you. You know, you got a tear and I give you a Kleenex. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time noticing things that are happening for other people. Um, and my intentions are, are I believe are always good to help be truly be that helper. Um, as Mr. Rogers would say, look for the helpers. I think I fall in that, that category of being the helper. I'm also, um, 
authentic. I, I know I, I will say who I, you know, I show my true self and I will also, I'll give the tough messages. I will um, give the straight talk, which is not always comfortable for people, but I'm willing to do that. So if you could witness anything in the history of human beings on this planet that happened, an event, what would you love to have seen firsthand? I think it would, you know, I would love to see Christ's life. Um, I don't know if I could have handled the, the passion, the, you know, basically his death. It probably would have been more something like the Last Supper where he was sharing more wisdom. I think the pain of of um, his death would have been too hard. Even though I, I sit, I can sit well with death, that is just... The way he died was just too awful. Yeah. Are you a Red Sox fan? Um, I will say, yes, I am a Red Sox fan. I won't watch it every night, but I am a fan. Because I've had this this question kind of grew out of what sporting event. Yep. And I was a Mets fan in 86. And if I could have been at game six, I'm just putting it out there. That would be the one moment. And I feel really bad for Buckner because I don't know if you know the history of how that happened. I don't know that a lot of people do. He was not the reg- he was not the regular first baseman. He was brought in because they wanted because he was a veteran. They wanted him to celebrate because they just it was a foregone conclusion. So they wow. took the regular dude out. Buckner always got took out about the sixth or seventh inning because he had bad knees and just things would get creaky. So yeah. they put him in. And I don't know that that was the reason why it happened. I think there was a, I don't know that any regular human being can understand the pressure of that many people and that loud in that moment. It's yeah. yeah. It would be awful. Yeah. But on a sports note, I would have loved to have been there for oh the Super Bowl where the, the Patriots were down and I don't remember. Oh. And they came back and won it. And like, yeah. I mean, they were really down and they came back and won it. And it was just like, you never give up on Tom Brady. So that was the Atlanta one, I think. Yeah, it was Atlanta. And Atlanta to this day, Tom Brady has to watch his back. I think in Atlanta, there's some kind of like bullseye on that back. I've heard that be said, you know, because I remember that game. I was like, I can't believe that the Atlanta Falcons, because that was their last year in that stadium. There were so many things that were Cinderella about that moment. Yeah. And then it was just, yeah, you can't, that's the thing. Everybody's like, oh, well, they're up by, you know, 12, 20, whatever. It's like, it's Tom Brady. It's kind of like Mahomes, what we have now. Yeah. Whenever, like, it, I am finally comfortable being a Chiefs fan because I, I don't worry anymore. Now, all of those years when we had all those other people, oh, it was just t- <laughs> constant ulcers and heartache and yep. it was bad. So well, we might be back in for that here in New England. So it's okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a it, it's a carousel. It, yeah. it always just comes back around. So, yeah. Paula, if anyone wants to learn more about you, hire you, anything pertaining to your business and world, where can they go? WHCornerstone.com uh, is the, the business location. I also have a YouTube channel uh, at Paula Harris One where I share my what I call Wisdom Wednesday. Paula's ponderings, positivity and prayer. Um, and then social media you know, can be found LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook. 
Well, I'm glad that we both got the chance to pull each other back into the into reality. Hopefully, this we yeah. eased ourselves out of vacation mode. So, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. that was awesome, Joe. Thank you very much for your story. Thanks for your time. Best of luck with everything. Thank you. You're an awesome interviewer. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Mm-hmm.